One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode contains distressing themes profanity and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. There is a saying that a man's home is his castle. It is supposed to be a sanctuary, a place of safety and security. Unfortunately for many, antisocial behaviour can make them feel uncomfortable and on edge in their own homes. When problems like these arise, it can take weeks for the police to resolve them and only after the damage has been done. Some try a different approach and directly confront the people responsible, but they can never imagine that it might cost them their life. What these people need to understand, that it could be their partners, their parents, that it happens to. And until this society stops thinking about number one, we should all try and pull together to stop these youth gangs going on rampages. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 39 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. In 2007, for the last three years, Gary and Helen Newlove had been living in a four-bedroom detached home with their three daughters, 
on Station Road North in the Warrington area of Padgate. Warrington is a town in Cheshire, located along the banks of the River Mersey halfway between Liverpool and Manchester. Gary Newlove had grown up in Salford, the youngest of three children. After completing his O-levels, he attended art college for a time, before leaving to help support his mother following his father's death. Gary loved music and began working weekends as a DJ in the nightclubs of Manchester. It was during one weekend in the early 80s that Gary met Helen. They instantly connected, and as soon as Helen agreed to go on a date with Gary, they quickly became inseparable. The pair had a lot in common. They shared an interest in art and music, and family was extremely important to them both. In June 1986, they married in St. Teresa of Avila Church in Earlham and moved into their own home in Warrington. Three years later, they welcomed their first child, Zoe, and in 1992, they had a second daughter, Danielle. Life was good, but at 32 years old, Gary was diagnosed with stomach cancer. Following a five-hour surgery, Gary had his stomach and spleen removed and spent days in intensive care. The consultants continued to run tests to see if they had stopped the cancer that had rapidly spread through his body. Thankfully, Gary recovered and in 1994 the couple welcomed their third little girl, Amy. The new loves worked hard and raised their children well. Helen was employed as a legal PA, while Gary worked in sales. In 2004, the family moved to Padgate. It was a quiet area. But over the years, the place where the new loves lived saw a steady increase in antisocial behaviour and underage drinking. Issues ranged from littering to property damage, but it seemed there was very little the residents could do. The police often gave them an incident number and moved on to other calls. Gangs of teenagers gathered in a subway underpass at the end of the street making locals too uncomfortable to pass by. Those that did were subjected to verbal abuse or intimidating behaviour. Gary Newlove was protective of his wife and daughters. He would try to move the groups of drunken teenagers away from outside his home numerous times, but they rarely listened, even after he told them the police were on their way. On Friday, August 10th, 2007, Helen was in bed early, having been sick that day. Carrie was watching television before he brought Helen up some food. They chatted about a family holiday they were due to go on in two weeks, while their youngest daughters, 15-year-old Danielle and 12-year-old Amy, watched television and ate a Chinese takeaway in the living room. Just after 10.30pm, 
Helen heard the sound of glass breaking and a group of youths talking and laughing loudly outside their home. Zoe, the couple's eldest daughter, was pulling into the street in her boyfriend Tom's car when Helen asked Gary to check what was happening outside. It was still relatively warm that night, around 17 degrees Celsius. Gary walked out into the garden barefoot, wearing only shorts and a T-shirt. Curious about what was happening, Gary's daughters Danielle and Amy watched from the doorway. Zoe and her boyfriend Tom had just arrived back at the property when they heard the commotion. They also observed Gary as he approached a group of at least five teenagers standing at the end of the drive. Gary asked the group who had kicked his car, as some damage was apparent, along with vandalism to the windows of a mini digger in their neighbour's garden. The teenagers just laughed and told him to fuck off, insisting they hadn't done anything. Gary could see the damage and placed his hand on one of the youth's arms before asking, Was it you? The group circled around Gary and some of the boys began to egg each other on. The atmosphere was loud and intense as they shouted, Hit him! Hit him! One of them swung at Gary causing him to stumble back into the others who had surrounded him. Before he could steady himself, another member of the gang kneed him in the back, sending him forward onto the ground. Gary tried to raise his hands to cover his face and pull his knees up to protect his abdomen, where he had life-saving surgery 15 years earlier. Still, the youths continued to kick and punch him as he knelt on the ground. Describing the attack, Zoe's boyfriend Tom later said, When Gary was on his knees, a male to the right gave him a big kick to the side of his face. They all started joining in the kicking to the abdomen, to the back and probably to his head as well. I would say they were quite heavy blows. They were taking a big swing, basically. Gary's daughter Zoe recalled, While on the ground he curled up and put his hands over his head, lads started to come round him and kicked him. About five of them were kicking him on the head like they would kick a football. Twelve-year-old Amy witnessed what happened next. She said, Dad fell on his side and three or four people were kicking his head. I shouted at them and called them freaks. I pushed one away and hit him. I turned round and my dad was on the floor, bleeding with blood coming from his head. I could see cuts and bruises on his face, but then I couldn't look again. I was crying and in shock. Danielle ran over to Gary who was lying on the ground. His face was cut and bleeding. So he tried to grab hold of one of the youths and shouted at him, asking what they had done to her father. Other members of the gang tried to pull Zoe off their friend, and when Tom rushed to help her he was punched in the face. 
Zoe let go of the teenager she was holding and ran to Tom as the group walked off down the street laughing. Neighbours who had heard the commotion ran outside to see what was happening and it was then they realised Gary was not breathing. Tom had medical training as a personal trainer and began administering CPR while on the phone with a 999 operator. Ellen had not seen the attack, so when her youngest daughter ran inside screaming before collapsing, Ellen couldn't take in what had happened until she walked outside and saw Gary on the floor beside Tom. Witnessing her husband of over 20 years lying lifeless on the ground was too much for Helen. She broke down as her eldest daughter Zoe tried to comfort her and assure her that everything would be okay. Ellen was not allowed to travel with Gary in the ambulance when he was rushed to Warrington General Hospital. The paramedics continued to try and resuscitate him en route. The violent attack had lasted just moments, and now there was a new kind of chaos on the residential street. Concerned locals had gathered as the police set up a cordon around the new love's home. A Nike trainer had been found beneath Gary's body, believed to have come from one of his attackers as they kicked him repeatedly. Locals watched on while the police treated the once quiet street as a crime scene and Helen Newlove rushed to the hospital to see her husband. By the time Helen Newlove arrived at the hospital, the doctors were still trying to treat Gary's injuries. She was taken to a family room to speak with a consultant about her husband's condition. His pulse had been weak at the scene, and during the journey his heart had stopped and Gary had to be resuscitated. At the hospital he was completely unresponsive and had fallen into a coma due to a massive brain hemorrhage. Helen was allowed to see Gary briefly before he was taken for scans. She recalled to reporter Helen Weathers. He was a mess. His head was covered in blood and very swollen. I told him I loved him and that I wanted him to come home. It was horrible. He had a trainer print mark in the centre of his forehead. It was in a lined pattern in a V-shape in blood. I was hysterical and sobbing. I asked Gary if he was in pain, and the doctor said he wasn't. The MRI scans showed that Gary had sustained a basal subarachnoid hemorrhage and a rupture of the left intracranial vertebral artery, which caused catastrophic brain damage. Helen was told if Gary somehow survived, he would likely be in a permanent vegetative state. Helen said, I sat there all night just hoping that he would come around, but he didn't. I just held him and kept telling him, Please come back. We've been through so much with the cancer. 
I just wanted him to wake up. I told Gary that he was very brave and that if he could get through this, then even if he wasn't himself, I'd look after him and that we'd pull together. When Helen returned home to tell her daughters how sick their father was, 12-year-old Amy asked her to read Gary a letter she had written to him. Addressed to Daddy, it read in part, I am unable to see you right now as I know you are too ill, but I know you can fight this as you are a strong, loving man who I know loves me no matter what. I'm asking you to be strong and don't give in, as I love you too much to believe that you won't go without a fight. I had a dream last night that you woke up, and you were fine, except you didn't know me at all. If that did happen and you didn't know me, I would still try to help you remember. I will stick by you while you are in hospital, and I will take care of mummy. I can't get across to you how much I will miss you, and I don't know what I would do without you. That night, Helen and the girls saw Gary in the hospital, and once the children left, Helen said her final goodbyes. Gary's condition had deteriorated significantly, and nothing more could be done. Helen later spoke with a reporter for the Daily Mail about what happened. I held on to Gary and hugged him. I could hear the ventilator machine stop. I went to give him a kiss, and his head moved. But there was no life. I didn't want to let him go, and I just held on to him as long as I could. I just wanted to hold him and smell him. I came home and had to tell the girls. I sat them down and tried to tell them. The pain I had in my chest was heartbreak because I'd lost him in such horrific circumstances. I told the girls he was too poorly and the doctors couldn't do anything and he'd gone to sleep and died. While Helen Newlove and her daughters tried to come to terms with Gary's senseless death, the police had escalated the inquiry. Chief Inspector Martin Cluworth led the investigation and spoke to the press in the wake of Gary Newlove's murder. He said, I would appeal to any young people who were present on Friday night to search their conscience and consider whether they know anything about the death of this father of three daughters. Chief Inspector Cluerth described the gang of youths as a pack and said there had been up to 15 teenagers in the area when Gary was attacked. Derek Lee, who lives in the same street, says youths have made life a misery for people here. He challenged a gang himself and feels he was lucky to escape unscathed. I did exactly what he did. I come out and confronted one of you, and there was a gang of them. And, and what luckily, happened? Luckily enough, I had this—you know—I was outside my house, and I got back in. 
They weren't going to back down these youths. No. When you confronted them. No. And you felt you were at risk. I was definitely at risk. Once went even. The detective in charge of the investigation says the official advice is always to call the police first, but Mr Newlove's actions were understandable. I think if anybody saw their own property being damaged, it's a, perhaps a natural response to go out and remonstrate with people that are responsible, and tragically that's all he's done. Neighbour Andrew Brocklehurst spoke with a journalist from The Guardian, describing how the murder had shocked the community. He said... It's not such a bad area, and this is just a guy trying to defend his property and he's been killed. They are animals. They are just scum, really. I can't understand how anyone could do anything like that. Numerous teenagers in the area were known as troublemakers. And it did not take long for the police to narrow down who it was believed was at the scene of Gary Newlove's murder that night. 16-year-old Stephen Sorton and 15-year-old Jordan Cunliffe had been stopped by a police community support officer shortly after the attack on Gary Newlove, as they stood outside the nearby newsagents and chip shop at the end of the road. Sorton was only wearing one shoe, and Cunliffe was not wearing any footwear at all. When their names came up in the first few days of the investigation, officers were sent to their homes to arrest them on suspicion of murder. Two other teenagers who cannot be named were also arrested for the same offence. Two days after Gary Newlove's death, Investigators arrested 18-year-old Adam Swellings, known as Swellhead. Swellings was familiar with officers in the local constabulary for a number of offences dating back to early 2005. He had been arrested for calling in a false bomb threat then for firing an air rifle. In March 2006... He was convicted after stealing a car and sentenced to 40 hours of community service. That same month, Swellings was arrested for common assault alongside Stephen Sorton after they attacked a 15-year-old boy. In June 2006, Swellings was convicted of battery and harassment, and a supervision and restraining order was imposed to prevent him from contacting a teenage witness in the case. He had breached that order three times before assaulting the girl at the end of November. When brought before Warrington Magistrates Court, Swellings pleaded not guilty to the assault and was granted bail. The case was back in court on August 1st, 2007, and Swellings changed his plea to guilty. He was granted bail while awaiting sentencing, but that same night, he attacked a local man, Paul Collinson. When he was charged with that assault on August 10th, Swellings pleaded guilty, and once again he was released on bail on the condition that he did not return to Warrington. However, by that afternoon, Swellings, Sorton, Cunliffe and other teenagers were in Warrington binge drinking and loitering in the park. 
A police community support officer had confiscated their alcohol that evening, but they continued to drink and cause problems until late that night when they walked through Station Road North, where the new Love family lived. When Adam Swellings was arrested at his home, he was asked if he knew what he was being arrested for. The 18-year-old smiled before saying that he had been watching the news. In all, five teenagers were charged with murder and remanded into custody. Speaking after the charges were put to them, Chief Constable Peter Fahey said in a statement, Every night of the week, Cheshire officers and our police community support officers are engaged in a constant battle against antisocial behaviour and alcohol-induced violence. I was out on patrol in Warrington for part of Friday evening, the night that Gary Newlove was attacked, and saw the way PCSOs, special constables and neighbourhood beat officers were working together to try and control disorder and street drinking. Parents should be the key to tackling this problem. They are responsible for their children, and that responsibility is not abdicated when they become teenagers. Parents need to provide an understanding of what is right and wrong, a sense of social responsibility, and guidance through these key years. This is sometimes forgotten by a small number of parents. Most of the bad behaviour is fuelled by alcohol, much of it supplied by adults, including some parents. I know that a hard core of parents turn a blind eye to the fact that their youngsters are out there, drinking underage and congregating in places where they cause nuisance to others. We cannot have a society where adults feel scared to go out, and challenge youngsters up to no good as this just breeds fear and isolation. Chief Constable Fahey believed that if a child's welfare was not being considered, then more needed to be done. If it gets to the stage where a parent who we know has a very vulnerable child through drinking is not willing to take up their support, then clearly it should become a child protection issue because of the vulnerability of that young person. So it's a really it is about we would like to see more support and advice but with a sanction from the criminal justice system that will encourage that parent, that family, to take up the support and advice and help that we are, and the other agencies are prepared to offer. Adam Swellings pleaded guilty to breaking the terms of his bail by being in Warrington on the night of the attack. He also admitted to the police that he had punched Gary Newlove. However, he denied continuing the assault or causing Gary's death. As floral tributes continue to be left outside of the new love's home, bearing messages praising Gary as a hero trying to take back the streets and standing up for what is right, His family had to wait for his body to be released before they could hold a funeral. Locals argued about whether cheap alcohol or poor parenting was to blame, 
but most agreed that a group mentality had much to do with the increase in antisocial behaviour in the area. No matter how much you tell them inside the house, you can't control them outside. And when they're in groups, when they're in gangs, you cannot control that. They're going out drinking, doing drugs and that. They want to be treated as, treated as adults, so they should then act like adults. as adults and be punished as adults. Jail is just no deterrent for kids now. They go and they say no, it's like a youth club. They, they have fun while they're in the... Jail's an holiday, so you know what yeah. I mean? A 16-year-old child, like kid. Like yeah, they get put in jail and what do they do? They come out in three, four years' time and they go, oh, I've been in prison. You know, it's just one big gain to him. Gary Newlove's funeral service took place on September 3rd. His body had finally been released after being subjected to five post-mortems at the request of the defendants. Hundreds of mourners filed into Christchurch in Padgate as Amazing Grace played out over the speakers. Reverend Canon Stephen Atwater addressed the congregation and said, How could such a thing happen here in Leafy Padgate? What had gone wrong? We can only pray that what tragically happened to Gary will stop such an atrocity happening again. When Gary was killed, the lights literally went out for the family and for others too. Gary was central to their lives. He was a loving, caring, devoted family man who will be sadly missed. Some of Gary's favourite songs played as his casket was carried out of the church. Gary's daughters had written tributes to their father that were attached to flowers placed by his coffin. Twelve-year-old Amy's guilt and confusion was evident when she wrote, I would give you my world just to see you be with mum again. I would do anything for you. Through the years I have had great fun with you, but I feel sad that it is all my fault that you are there. I did nothing. Eighteen-year-old Zoe assured her father that she would be going to university and would make him proud and look after everyone as he had done. Fifteen-year-old Danielle wrote that Gary was a fantastic father, who she loved with all her heart. Ellen also wrote a letter for Gary. It read, All I want is to see you, feel you, and hold you close to me and never let you go. I've loved you from the first time I met you, and I'll still love you forever. You have been my soulmate for 25 years, and I'm lost without you. I feel empty and broken. I will cherish our memories till the day we meet again, and I'll keep my promise to you, and I will make you proud. I cannot say goodbye. I say good night, God bless. You do not need to suffer any more.
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of They Walk Among Us is brought to you in association with Sentair. Ever entered a seemingly perfect space only to feel like something was missing? That's where Sentair comes in. With over three decades of experience, Sentair leads the scent marketing industry, scenting resorts, retail outlets, event spaces and more, partnering with major brands like Westin Hotels and Snap Fitness. Chances are you've already encountered their fragrances firsthand. And now Scentair is offering you a luxury fragrance experience in the comfort of your home. Visit Scentair.com to explore their online store and infuse your spaces with unforgettable scents. Scentair diffusers are sleek and fill your space with vivid fragrance for up to 300 hours. And the Scentair app lets you schedule your fragrance and control your intensity right from your phone. What's more, all of Sentair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate-free, cruelty-free, safer families and EcoVad is certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to Sentair.com and using promo code AMONGUS for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code among us for an extra 25% off your first order at Centair.com. The trial of the five teenagers accused of murdering Gary Newlove began at Chester Crown Court in November 2007 before Mr. Justice Smith. Opening the case for the Crown. Prosecutor Michael Chambers told the jury that Gary had been dealing with the gang for months. On August 10th, they began to vandalise his wife's car. Chambers said, 
he had the courage to go out and face them, but they were in no mood to be challenged. He was no match for their combined assault. One of them kicked him so hard that his shoe came off and was found lodged under Mr. New Love's body. The jury were told that the gang of youths had been known to cause trouble in the area. They were not closely monitored by their parents and often drank to excess despite being underage. Adam Swellings was said to be the leader of the group and despite being under bail conditions to stay out of Warrington, he had met up with the others that afternoon. CCTV footage pictured a group of at least seven teenagers walking towards the new love's home moments before the fatal assault. Mobile phone data placed Stephen Sorton in the area. Adam Swellings had told the police in his statement that Gary Newlove had come out shouting at them before the group surrounded Gary in a U-shape. Swellings told investigators, He was just shouting and saying, Who's damaged my car? And then he said, Get in a circle and I will have all 15 of you. They were saying, Hit him, hit him, hit him. And that's when he looked at me and I just jabbed him in the cheekbone. I threw the first dig. I can honestly say I did not kick him at all. I should have just walked straight past him. I didn't encourage anybody else to join in. Swellings claimed to have drunk four litres of cider that day and smoked cannabis prior to the incident. He alleged that the punch was not powerful and he had walked away from Gary right after inflicting the blow. But allegedly Swelling saw Gary kick out, and then he saw one of his co-defendants kick Gary on the ground. Swellings had admitted to inflicting the first blow, triggering the events that led to Gary's death. He attempted to plead guilty to manslaughter as a result. The prosecution argued that Adam Swellings had been involved in kicking Gary Newlove, and even if he had only thrown a single punch, he would have known that Gary would be kicked or punched by the others and sustain severe injuries. Witnesses would testify that they saw the individual throwing the first punch kick Gary afterwards. One witness told the court that he had been at the shops close to the scene at around 10.30pm on the night of the attack when his attention was drawn to Station Road North. Quote, I heard shouting and noises, so I went to look at what was going on and the defendant and his mates came around the corner. The defendant said to me, I've just battered a man. He's not moving or something like that. The defendant the witness was referring to was 15-year-old Jordan Cunliffe. Cunliffe stated that he had not been with the group when they attacked Gary Newlove, as he was eating chips and urinating in an alleyway close by. By the time he walked over to rejoin the group, 
Gary was on the ground, and people were standing around him. Cunliffe said that a girl had grabbed him on the street and shouted something about her father being injured. Forensic evidence highlighted that it was likely Zoe Newlove who grabbed Cunliffe in the moments after the assault. Her DNA was found on his clothing. Jordan Cunliffe was partially sighted and suffered from keratoconus, a visual impairment requiring a corneal transplant once he turned 16. On the stand, he said that he could not even distinguish between male and female jurors because of his condition, but Cunliffe did admit that he was capable of playing football with his friends. The prosecution argued that if he was capable of kicking a football, he was capable of kicking a man to death. Stephen Sorton had initially denied any involvement in the attack, despite the fact that he was seen with just one shoe, and the other shoe was found beneath Gary Newlove's body. Sorton had reportedly consumed between nine to ten bottles of lager and three litres of cider in the hours before Gary was assaulted. He told the police that he had been drinking in a nearby park when the group was approached by a police officer, so he ran away. When he came out of the park, Sorton witnessed a group of people gathered around a man on the ground. In his statement, Sorton said, I saw people in Station Road North, and I thought they were people I knew, so I went over. There was a man on the ground, people were screaming, and one female was saying, help my dad. I said I would go and get a police officer, but as I passed the man I tripped and lost my shoe. That's when I walked up and spoke to a police support officer. However, Stephen Sorton would later admit his involvement to his mother after he was questioned by the police. As he was in custody at Cheshire Police Station, he remarked, I knew I wouldn't get away with it. Sorton's mother said in a statement, I asked him why he did it, and he told me he tried walking away, but the man was ranting and raving. I asked him why he had not said anything to the police, and he said he was scared of what would happen. I said he should have told the police. He was crying and said he was scared. Gary Newlove's daughter Zoe testified from behind a screen in the courtroom, describing what she had witnessed on the night her father was attacked. Her sisters Amy and Danielle testified via video link. Throughout the lengthy cross-examination, the young witnesses were questioned by each of the five defendants' barristers in an attempt to cast doubt on their testimony. As Judge Mr Justice Smith addressed the jury in his summation at the end of the eight-week trial, 
He explained that it was the prosecution's case that all of the defendants committed the murder of Gary Newlove together. Quote, It is therefore important that you understand that in order to be guilty of murder, a person does not himself have to do what causes the victim's death. A person can be guilty of murder if he is in a joint enterprise with a person who actually causes the victim's death by murdering him. That's to say, who unlawfully caused the victim's death intending to kill or to do really serious injury. The judge continued to explain the complexities of five people all being on trial for Gary's murder. The essence of joint responsibility for a criminal offence is that each defendant shares an intention to commit it and takes some part to do so. In a case like this, the person would have to have taken part in the attack on Gary Newlove either by actually using violence himself or by being there and deliberately encouraging those using violence, intending to encourage the attack and actually encouraging it. The judge posed a rhetorical question. What then is the state of mind that makes a person guilty of murder in these circumstances? Mr Justice Smith outlined how they should decide whether the defendants were guilty or not. A person would be guilty in these circumstances if either he intended that Gary Newlove should suffer really serious injury or he realised that one of the attackers might intend to do Gary Newlove really serious injury and might in fact do him really serious injury if not kill him. If a defendant did intend or realise that, then you would find that defendant guilty of murder provided that the defendant realised that one of the attackers might do the sort of thing that caused Gary Newlove's death. The judge also reminded the jury that the witnesses and the defendants were trying to remember what had happened during a fast-moving episode and to be cautious of identification evidence by witnesses as mistakes could be made. Although Mr Justice Smith had mentioned that the defendants were charged in a joint enterprise in that they were accused of participating in the attack in some way, he told the jury, The defendants faced charges in what happened in Station Road North on August 10th. That is what you need to concentrate on. Even if you are sure what one of the defendants was doing, you must not assume that the others were involved. Throughout, each defendant is entitled to have his own position assessed separately. After 55 hours of deliberations over 10 long days, the jury returned with their verdicts. Upon hearing the outcome, Jordan Cunliffe burst into heaving sobs, while Adam Swellings and Stephen Sorton stared ahead in silence. Swellings, Sorton and Cunliffe were found guilty of murder. The other two defendants who cannot be named for legal reasons 
were acquitted. Harold Malone, a local neighbour whose CCTV helped convict the three teenagers, said trouble had been brewing for months, which is why he installed his cameras. The advice he received from the police was to stay indoors. They strongly recommended that you should never go out, um, basically because if there's probably five of them, you've got no chance. And what did he mean by you've got no chance? Uh, if you were attacked. Life sentences were imposed on each defendant, with a minimum term of 17 years for Adam Swellings, 15 years for Stephen Sorton, and 12 years for Jordan Cunliffe. Mr Justice Smith remarked that Gary Newlove had been public-spirited, courageous and a devoted family man who paid with his life. The judge told the convicted killers, You three were only so brave because you outnumbered him many times over, and it was fuelled by skunk cannabis and cheap drink. For all of you, drunken aggression is part of a night's entertainment. It was a gang attack, and each of you continued to behave aggressively after you had finished with Gary Newlove. Importantly, his teenage daughters watched as he was attacked and fatally injured. I must consider the effect on them of such a horrific experience at a young age. Nobody who saw them during the trial can forget their simple and straightforward decency. Everyone in court could understand why Gary Newlove was so proud of his family. I hope that provides a crumb of comfort for Mrs. Newlove. But that was the family you destroyed. A press conference was held in the wake of the verdict, in which Assistant Chief Constable Gary Shewan addressed the media. This case has been a dreadful tragedy. The Newlove family have lost a loving, hard-working father and husband. When any violent death or fatal road collision occurs, police officers agonise over whether there's anything they could have done to prevent the loss of life. In this case, officers had already had dealings with the youths who had been involved and had arrested the oldest offender, Swellings, many times, putting him before the courts and objecting to his bail on his last occasion, which you have already heard was on the day that tragically Gary Newlove was killed. Children found drinking are often taken home. I would ask everyone who is listening to this today, who are involved in the supply and sale of alcohol, to take particular notice of this verdict. I would ask them to work with the police and our local authorities to ensure everything is done to prevent the accessibility of cheap and strong alcohol to young people. And importantly, I would also ask that we bring an end to cheap drink promotions in every single outlet in this country. Helen Newlove read a statement she had prepared before the trial. In it, she spoke of how the light had gone out in their lives. It's like a piece of our jigsaw has been lost forever, she said. The tiniest of things that we used to do as a family feels like it takes us forever to achieve them. We all sit at home, the girls and I. 
and wait for Gary to walk through the door as if he's been to his head office in Coventry for meetings, which sadly we know now will never happen. Helen said that her daughter Amy continued to suffer from flashbacks and could no longer sleep alone. The older girls had retreated into themselves and became quiet and withdrawn. Helen described how she needed medication just to sleep and spoke about how hard it was to come to terms with what had happened. I can honestly say that if it wasn't for my three girls and my family, I do not want to live without Gary. It's too hard. My soulmate has gone, and I just want to see and hear Gary. To have to turn off his life support machine because of this needless and senseless act. I find it hard to comprehend. To think that Gary recovered from stomach cancer 15 years ago and to be taken in such terrible circumstances. It makes you think, what is the point of everything? saying to Gary all the time, the police will only do something when somebody is murdered. And unfortunately, Gary got murdered. So it's really something that, in the bottom of my heart, I'm determined to fight and be listened to. The government are not living in this real world. And until they do live in our world, they will never, nobody understands the pain you go through. And until it's actually changed the law of this land, we're never going to get the justice that we want. Ellen Newlove felt that life should mean life for convicted killers and that parents needed to take responsibility for their children. She called on the government to do more to prevent senseless deaths like Gary's. She said, To have prevented Gary's death would have been for the police to have acted before this incident. Plenty of police presence warning the youngsters away from our residential streets. Instead, they are asked to empty their alcohol and given a stop warning. As soon as they turn their backs, they then go back and drink and smoke more from their hidden stash. Alcohol is a big issue and needs to be addressed as soon as possible. For all too long, youngsters have been drinking and smoking into the early hours and then deciding to do acts of criminal damage and beat people up as a joke because of their influence by the drink and drugs. We all need to keep a close eye, especially shopkeepers. And it's not just boys that are becoming more aggressive and violent. Girls are becoming more violent than the boys. We need to make a stand. So where are we now? All three of Gary Newlove's killers launched appeals in the years after the trial. Stephen Sorton had his sentence reduced to 13 years, while Jordan Cunliffe continued to maintain his claims of innocence throughout his incarceration. Cunliffe's appeal was based on both his visual impairment and the so-called joint enterprise law. 
Joint enterprise involves cases where more than one person takes part in a fatal incident. It means that even individuals who did not inflict the fatal blow can still be charged and convicted of murder. Notable cases where it has been used include Stephen Lawrence's murder in 1993. Jordan Cunliffe's mother Janet campaigned against the law following her son's conviction. I think when you're 15 years old, um, you know, it's a little bit difficult to be worldly wild and, 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 and know the kind of company you keep. Um, he was out with friends, uh, boys and girls he'd gone to school with. Um, some of them, he, you know, he, he hadn't known all of his life, but they, they were, he, at the time he, he was losing his vision and he needed to, to, to keep in contact with people that he'd known from school in order to feel a little bit more secure about himself. Uh, he certainly wasn't out with people... Um, they weren't a gang. It wasn't about being gang members and going out causing trouble. It was a really unfortunate incident. And, and there's no, you know, our family feel dreadful for what happened to the victim. But it wasn't my son that, 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 that caused any damage uh, or any argument or, or laid a blow on the victim. In 2016, the Supreme Court ruled that the law of joint enterprise had been misinterpreted for almost three decades and Cunliffe's mother hoped that would aid her son's appeal. She told The Guardian, This is really valuable for Jordan. His case is already strong. This just adds weight to it. He's a dead cert. If you were a gambling man, you'd put all your money on this one coming home. That said, Cunliffe's appeal was denied but he was granted parole in 2019. Support for his release was then withdrawn in December of that year, following an incident in his cell at an open prison where he was being held. It emerged that Cunliffe and other prisoners had been found drinking alcohol and being violent. Cunliffe had refused to consent to a breathalyzer test and denied drinking anything at first but later conceded and accepted responsibility. 27-year-old Cunliffe, who was by this point registered as blind, having almost completely lost sight in both eyes, was granted parole in November 2020. Stephen Sorton had been released on parole seven months earlier, and subjected to conditions which included an exclusion zone from where the crime was committed. She has fought a lonely battle for change. Now Helen Newlove's crusade against yob culture has taken her to the heart of power, a testament to this extraordinary woman that today MPs wanted to hear her views on how to tackle street violence. No matter how many interviews I do, when I shut that door at night, I'm lonely and everything, but, you know, this keeps me going and, I, you know, I want to help another family, not go... Gary Newlove's widow Helen was appointed as a peer in 2010 and joined the House of Lords. She had campaigned for victims' rights and against drink-related violence since Gary's murder three years earlier, and in 2012 she was appointed as a victims' commissioner for England and Wales. Speaking to ITV after Sorton's release, Baroness Newlove said... 
it makes you really angry. The sentence was a life sentence. He had to serve a minimum of 12 years. That word minimum is very important. It's a pure mockery, not just to me and the family, but most importantly to Gary. The process doesn't have humanity side to it. It's all about processing the rule of law. It's for the offender. Everything was about the fact that he was a child and he needs to be rehabilitated and given a second chance. Nobody thought about my children's welfare and my welfare. Where is the respect for victims? Now is the time to have an open and honest debate and really think about what we're doing here. I worry for my daughters and my family. Everything is way towards rehabilitating offenders and giving them a second chance when victims' lives are completely ruined and we are left to pick up the pieces by a system that is there to protect us. In early April 2022, the parole board recommended that 33-year-old Adam Swellings be moved to an open prison in preparation for his release. The parole board stated that Swellings' behaviour in prison had been exemplary as he reflected on his difficulties dealing with extremes of emotion and arrogance in order to maintain status with antisocial friends at the time of the murder. Just weeks later, however, Justice Secretary Dominic Raab overruled the recommendation. A spokesperson said, The Deputy Prime Minister has blocked Swelling's move to open prison. He wants the Parole Board to take a more precautionary approach to protect the public and is bringing in reforms to keep dangerous offenders behind bars. Adam Swelling's minimum term ends in August 2024. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our Patreon supporters. For more information on this episode please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.